Hello, everyone, and welcome to Pump Up the Volume, where we look at anything and everything that is affecting the process manufacturing industry. My name is Don Horn, and I'm the editor of Process West and IPPT magazines. Today, we welcome to the show Ryan Kershaw, Vice President of the Canadian Process Control Association and National Sales Manager at Mettler Toledo International. And we're looking at some of the trends in instrumentation and controls and just what the future holds in the process manufacturing sector. Hello, Ryan, and welcome to the show. Hey, Don. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Now, how has instrumentation and process control changed, and how is it becoming more of a strategic topic with Industry 4.0? For instance, now that instruments and controls have evolved to have their own IP address, IT is now being brought into the picture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is something that's uh, been quite interesting. I've been in the business for way longer than I care to admit. Um, and when I first started out, everything was, you know, switches and, uh, you know, transducers and transmitters. I mean, I remember programming ultrasonics and it was like one calculator talking to another. Um, you know, we've, we've definitely moved on since that point. And, you know, it's the amount of information we get out of these instruments now is uh, just amazing. We look at, you know, going back into that old part, you know, the old standard or the old instrumentation. And we had, uh, you know, four to twenties coming out, or we had uh, minor electrical signals. Uh, we're now getting to the point where, uh, you know, we have a fully networked and fully digital instrumentation, uh, and it's a major step forward in, in terms of what we can bring out of this. Um, you know, it's uh, we look at, you know, some of the stuff that I've got. I deal with uh, analytical instrumentation, so liquid analytics and gas analytics. Uh, and if we look at a, a simple pH sensor, it used to be that you were really limited to uh, just the pH value coming out of there. Um, now we we put across uh, the pH value, uh, the temperature, ORP. Uh, we do re glass resistances, reference resistances, uh, maintenance information. A whole bunch of information is coming out of this, uh, and it's really you know it's now you know what do we what do we do with the information that's coming up to there? Uh, and at that point, I mean, with that inf extra information, you have to kind of identify you know who else who else can use it and what else needs to be done on that. Um, you know, I saw two interesting articles last week. One was talking about the rise of two-wire Ethernet uh, in many devices, you know, where we can now bring all this information back to a control system, really start disseminating it. Uh, the other one was um, the Oldmar, Florida, uh, was it Oldsmar, sorry, Oldsmar, Florida uh, water treatment plant that got hacked. Um, okay. So this kind of shows we've got this extra information, but now we need to be extremely you know, diligent in what we do with it. Uh, and this is where we need to start bringing in other departments. I mean, IT is a big one. IT is used to securing these larger systems you know, on the IT side. Uh, and now we need to bring them to the OT side, so the operational technology side, uh, and really get them to kind of help us out. We've seen you know, standards start going that way too. You know, ISA has developed ISA 99 to specifically address this. Uh, and as we saw in the Oldsmar uh, situation, a lot of it isn't really uh, anything too high tech or complicated. It's you know shared passwords. It's uh, not changing defaults. It's having open pathways. Uh, so even though we've got this ability to go in and uh, you know look at all this information forever in the world, we do have to ensure that we're we're securing it properly. And uh, and that's the new reality now is that uh, it, it's not difficult to get the information. It's just what do we do with it now? Because as more information comes directly into these systems companies have to start being selective about what information they use. And that can involve multiple parties. Can you walk us through that? Yeah, exactly. And actually speaking of uh, standard or standards, um, I mean, this is another one that we see being developed and being used quite well is uh, alarm management. 
Um, so now we've got 10 times the information coming out of it. Uh, and, you know, this increased information, it can kind of lead to, you know, increased nuisance alarms, you know, alarms that keep going off uh, and they just essentially get snooze. It's like, you know, having your alarm go off on your bedside table 10 minutes before you really need to get up and you just keep snoozing it until, you know, you're, you're actually late for work. Um, and we, we find this to be a big issue. We've, we've actually seen, um, you know, it, well, um, I, you know, the cause of many or some accidents where uh, honestly it got to the point where you overloaded the operators with the alarms. Uh, they got to the point where they just end up snoozing them or acknowledging them. Uh, and then it became a much bigger issue. Uh, I think there was a refinery issue that was designated, you know, that was, that was the conclusion that they drew was the, the operators just kind of started snoozing everything uh, across. Um, so, I mean, this is another point where, you know, we need to bring in extra, uh, you know, all the other parts of the company, not just engineering or maintenance. Um, you know, we need to bring in the safety guys um, to really develop and use the information that we're getting to kind of develop a plan and really start to, you know, level out the alarms. Uh, you know, what's really important? What needs to be addressed? What can kind of wait? Uh, what needs to be shuffled off to maintenance? What needs to be sent over to finance or what needs to be put over to procurement? Um, you know, we've seen this and, you know, my company, one of the things that we've worked on is uh, using the extra information that we get uh, to develop logic, uh, you know, logic programming to say, okay, well, if this uh, parameter and this parameter go out of spec, it's not an actual alarm that you need to take care of, but it, it's a maintenance item. You need to shuffle that over to maintenance and this needs to be done. Uh, and I think if, you know, if companies can really start to look at that as, you know, the overall picture of what these, uh, these systems are putting out, they can really be smart about what they design and you know the alarms that they're putting together so it doesn't overload the operators and it really gives them an idea of what's going on um you know one of the things i've always seen a bit bit of a car guy i guess uh and the one thing i always see on the the sites that i visit is you know death to the check engine light um you know the check engine light goes off and you don't know if it's an o2 sensor or you know if your engine is about to blow up uh and you know this is where we need to get to on the the plants too we don't need the check engine light going off we need something specific that says hey this is the specific set you know issue that you need to deal with at this moment i think that's the uh the prototypical uh, homer simpson method you put a piece of electrical tape over it and <laughs> problem solved exactly as long as i get my thumb up over the light it you know it's the the problem's not an issue for me so we're good yeah um, now, instrumentation and controls, that, that covers a lot of ground in the manufacturing sector. Uh, what is of particular interest to you? Uh, I mean, I got to say the, the one thing I really love about this job is uh, kind of the, the problem solving, you know, the puzzle aspect of it. Um, you know, we get brought in on certain applications, you know, the easy ones are the, you know, I need this solved and it's already been solved. And we just need it, you know, to be redone. Um, other ones are where we get companies approaching us saying, you know, we, we saw something that we think we might be able to do. And, you know, what do you, what do you think you can do with that? You know, instrumentation really kind of brings together a whole bunch of different disciplines. I mean, we deal with, uh, the electrical side, you know, where we're talking to PLCs, so we deal with some programming, uh, we deal with chemistry, physics, I mean, we even deal with finance at some points. I mean, ROIs, return on investment calculations, uh, you know, are a huge part. Um, so, I mean, this is, this is one of the biggest things that, uh, that I like about it. I mean, we just, we getting in, getting dug into this stuff, uh, and really trying to figure out an app, you know, a solution, uh, to a problem, uh, that can really, you know, help, a, help a company move forward for sure. Uh, and that, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what, uh, interests me for sure. And, and I think that's a large part of it as well, too, because with the current instruments that are out there, uh, 
there's more information that can be squeezed out of them, uh, such as addressing policy issues like alarm management, which you touched on earlier. And I think that can help without spending an extra money as well too, correct? Yeah, correct. Yeah, no, it's, um, <clears throat> again, yeah, like I mentioned, we get, a, we get a ton of information coming out of new sensors, uh, especially the digital ones. Um, you know, we see, hey, we see 10 times the information coming out, you know, what do we do with it? Uh, and if companies are smart, they re can really start to uh, start to use that to their advantage. Uh, and I think, I mean, if companies can kind of, you know, step back and, and kind of have a look at what they actually have, uh, I mean, I think they can discover that they've, they've really got a lot of, you know, a value in their systems that they don't realize is there. Um, you know, we, we talk about some of the, the systems that, uh, that I sell and, uh, you know, some of the extra information that's in there. And I, I know that a lot of the companies are barely scratching the surface with what we provide them. Um, you know, they don't, they don't deal with half of the, the options or half of the, the features that uh, a lot of the, the systems come with. Um, and even outside of what we supply, I mean, you know, we can look at uh, Coriolis meters, Coriolis meters, uh, big thing out of them is they also provide density is usually a, a secondary measurement. And that's actually where we find a lot of value in not just, you know, those sensors, but, uh, you know, just about everything else out there is usually when we put together a measurement, we're talking about multiple different measurements on top of that. So we look at uh, pH and conductivity. Uh, they're always taking in temperature. Uh, so maybe, you know, you've got these sensors in there that are already putting out three, four different types of measurements. Um, you know, are those being used properly? Uh, can you potentially make use of them? Can you start to combine sensors? Uh, one of the cool things that's coming up is uh, virtual sensors or soft sensors, uh, where we might take uh, two separate, completely separate sensors, bring them back into a control system where they use those two measurements to kind of do an internal compensation. So, um, you know, previously with pH, we'd combine, we'd use t temperature to kind of help uh, make that more accurate. Well, now in a PLC, we might combine something to say like uh, a pH and ORP sensor to get relative hydrogen um, or something like that. Uh, we might combine CO2 and oxygen uh, to get us, um, you know, respiratory uh, quotient on there. Um, you know, it, it's kind of neat to bring those sensors in. We've seen this in other applications. I know I've taught, I've seen other companies do presentations about that as well, where they can bring in, you know, sensors from two different sides of the plant uh, and then give you a completely different measurement. So, you know, we, we see that uh, as being a big thing going forward, you know, not having to spend a whole hex, you know, whole lot of extra money, maybe a bit of a bit of programming on top of it. Uh, but now we can take uh, all these different components and bring them in uh, and really generate a whole bunch of extra value on there. And I think that's a, it's one method that a lot of companies do is that, you know, you throw up money at the problem and hope that it gets fixed. Now, aside from capital expenditures on new equipment, are there techniques of new methods of operating that can provide a cost savings for manufacturers? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, and this is where we talk about some of the financial aspects of, you know, instrumentation and controls. Um, you know, one of the biggest cost savings in instrumentation controls is increasing accuracies. Well, increasing accuracies, repeatabilities, um, you know, making, making the system work much better. Uh, and we can really see, you know, again, companies that can go in and really kind of tweak what they have uh, try to streamline everything down, I uh, can realize massive cost savings without having to make the investments. And I say that, say that as a sales guy, you know, I'm, I'm the type of guy that really wants companies to make the investments. I don't get paid unless they do. Uh, but we also like to see companies 
you know, thrive because uh, we know good, healthy companies are companies that are going to be good for us in the end of it. Um, I mean, accuracy is always one big thing. And like I mentioned, you, the better the accuracy, the, the measurement, the better the accuracy, the control, hey, the less, uh, you know, the less product you're going to waste. Uh, the less uh, extra extra effort you're going to put into something without having to, the less off-spec product you're going to have. Um, calibration is always a big one that we push through. I mean, I'm in the anal analytical side of things, not the physical measurement side. And analytical sensors are are fussy. I mean, they require constant attention. Um, you know, and we we always stress putting forward a good calibration, a good maintenance routine. If you don't have that, everything's going to drift out, and you're going to end up in a whole bunch of trouble. Um, but I mean, one of the big things that we look at, uh, again, uh, this is the shift to we see the shift towards digital, uh, but we also see a lot of companies kicking and screaming to get into there. Uh, so we do see a widespread use still of four to twenties. I mean, I got to say probably about 80 to 90% of the transmitters we sell out are still the good old four to twenties out there. Everybody knows how to use them. Everybody knows how to scale them. Uh, so it's still constantly used, but they can be a you know, a massive source of error for a lot of people. Um, you know, we look at a four to 20 on there, it's got inherent error. Uh, we see people just completely set them up wrong. Uh, so they set them up in a manner that, you know, doesn't allow them to control properly. And I think if people go back in or if, uh, you know, engineers go back in and have a good look and try to tighten things up a little bit, maybe use some, you know, some advanced, uh, maybe a, a, a dual scale or uh, what have you on there, um, you know, it can help them really push things forward. I mean, accuracy, whenever we deal with percentages, I mean, the one thing everybody has to remember is when we're dealing with percentages, one plus one doesn't equal two, you know, one plus one equals 2.01. You know, there's the cumulative effect of each, you know, each minor improvement that you make on there. So if you can improve one part of the, the system by 1%, uh, and then you can improve the next part of the system by 1%, the next part, uh, you start to see this compound uh, growth within, you know, the, the inherent accuracy or the inherent efficiency of the system. Uh, and it really helps to kind of make things work a lot better. Uh, the other thing is we deal with, and you know, this is going back to the old days where you know, it was one calculator talking to another and you had to write everything down on a sheet of paper. Well, the transmitters, transmitters today have a ton of extra horsepower on them, uh, whether we deal with level, temperature, pressure, or flow. One of the things we always see in there, especially in some of the ones that uh, you know, we're talking to a PLC, uh, or controlling a system is a PID algorithm that goes unused. Uh, PID is one of these things that Nobody really wants to touch. They like the on-off controls. It's simple, you know, you flick a switch and you switch it off when you don't need it again. Um, but, you know, if you can move to more of a continuous control, I mean, that really tends to help things out. And it doesn't need to be, you know, the full PID, you know, use the proportional uh, and that really, you know, that's a massive step up just on its own. So, I mean, I think, again, we get into a lot of the these systems where there's a bunch of extra value buried in there that a lot of people don't realize. Uh, and some of this advanced control uh, methodology that's in there, I mean, it, it just doesn't get used. And I think uh, companies, again, can really kind of help themselves uh, you, by, you, you know, diving a little deeper into what they have and see what they got. Is it almost a case where it's worth it for a company that once they get uh, all this technology and it's up and running, for them to come back a month or two later and say, hey, are we using this right? Or what can we do to make it better? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's uh, again. You know, we we talk with a lot of customers, and you know, I oh, I go through some of the stuff that we sell, and it's got you know four pages of uh, features in there, and you know options and that, and I doubt many people get past page one. 
we're men. Um, we don't read instructions. Right? No, exactly. Yeah. yeah. We just fumble through and hope for the best. You know, if we get the, if it's got the guided setup on it that scratches the surface, hey, that's good enough for us. Uh, but yeah, no, I think uh, it's it's a good idea for companies to really get in uh, and kind of kind of dive back in and maybe a month afterwards uh, and see what they got. And, you know, speaking as, a, as an equipment manufacturer, hey, call up your sales guy, call up your, your tech support, you know, maybe ask them, hey, come on out and let's uh, take a look. There is nothing more a sales guy likes to do than talk. And especially when we're talking on a technical topic and get to get our hands a little dirty. Uh, it's fun to get out there. And I know I like to, to kind of walk a customer through and, you know, show them a few extra items. Hey, did you know you can do this? And let's, let's tweak this and this will help you save a whole bunch here for sure. Absolutely. Uh, you're listening to Pump Up the Volume, a podcast that can be found on the IPPT website, www.ippt.ca. Joining us today is Ryan Kershaw of Mettler Toledo and the Vice President of the Canadian Process Control Association. Now, supply chains have been put to the test during the COVID-19 pandemic. How has your company handled it? Uh, actually, quite well. So a uh, bit of a background on Mettler. We're a, well, small cap, I guess. Uh, I mean, $3 billion worldwide, multinational, big old conglomerate. Um, you know, we do a, a fairly good amount of business out there. Uh, and again, we, we not only sell worldwide, but we also manufacture worldwide. Um, and we actually, we got through this pretty well, I think. And I think one of the biggest things uh, that we had going for us was actually, we've got a fair amount of manufacturing cap or capacity uh, in China. Uh, and they saw the first wave of this whole thing going around. And I think that kind of got uh, a lot of the leadership, um, you know, kind of opened to their eyes to see what was, what was about to happen. Uh, and there was a lot of early action that happened within the company. So again, we've got a lot of the, the equipment manufacturing in China. Uh, we've got a fair manufacturing base out of Europe and then a large manufacturing sector out of the U.S. as well. Um, and I think once the, once the situ situation started happening in China <laughs> about this time last year, maybe a, a month or two early, um, that got the leadership uh, making a bunch of changes. We secured a lot of extra capacity. Uh, we... I think they put the, the factories in Europe and uh, America sort of in overdrive to kind of build capacity of heady, uh, ahead of any shutdowns. So, I mean, that that's really helped us forward. I mean, one of the biggest issues that we run, we've run into is not having the product, well, in one sector, but I'll get back to that, um, but securing the cargo. Um, many people don't realize that when you've got passenger planes that aren't flying back and forth anymore, you lose a significant amount of uh, cargo capacity as well. Uh, so that that's really, I mean, our logistics team, they've done an excellent job and, uh, you know, they're kind of the unsung heroes of this. But I mean, the fact that I can turn around and still get uh, a lot of product within a day or two, I mean, that that tells you a lot about how we, we've gotten through on this one. Um, we've actually been in an interesting scenario uh, where, you know, I'm with the analytical uh, process division. Uh, we have a division that is specifically dedicated to uh, pipettes. And if you've ever seen a picture of anybody working in a laboratory in this whole COVID thing, you'll usually see them using a pipette and it looks like this thing with a plunger on top uh, and it's got this little plastic tip. Well, every time you do an experiment, I mean, each lab has like a dozen of these things. And each time you do an experiment, that plastic tip has to be chucked. And you can imagine how many uh, of those plastic tips they've been going through. And that division has just been on fire. Uh, we've got two factories, uh, one in, I wanna say Oakland and the other one in Tijuana. And they have just been running nonstop. They've been trying to increase capacity. They're at the point right now where 
I mean, they, they just can't keep up. Uh, any spare product that comes out of there is snapped up within seconds. Um, so, I mean, they, they've run into a, a real interesting scenario on there where, you know, they've just been, just been overloaded. So, uh, yeah, that, that's been a bit of a difference, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, we've managed to do quite well. I'll, I'll give it to the logistics department. They, they managed to get ahead of this and, and keep us running for sure. And it, I mean, logistics, it's, it's such an underappreciated, uh, vocation because it's a bit like a Jenga tower. I mean, you take out one small little brick. It all may come down on you. <laughs> yeah, it's like IT or tech support. If uh, you don't know that they exist, that means they're doing their job. But as soon as you realize they exist, it's usually because something's gone wrong. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, no, they they are unsung heroes of this one for sure. What do you see happening in control systems that companies should take advantage of now to remain competitive? Uh, so yeah, I mean the digital revolution. I you know industry 4.0, IIoT. I mean this is all stuff we're we're moving towards, uh, and we don't see. I mean, we see some of the bigger, more advanced com- uh, companies definitely taking advantage of it, uh, but we don't see many of the other companies making a move on this one. Uh, again, four to twenty still seems to be our our biggest seller in terms of transmitters. And you know I talk to people and ask them, well, you know, why don't you move to something a little bit more advanced? I think the one big thing is nobody's developed the infrastructure and nobody has uh, the personnel for this one. So, I mean, if I'm going to talk about how, you know, companies start moving forward, hey, start to go towards uh, the more networked uh, capability on there. Start to, you know, make use of the the information that's coming out of your sensors. Um, you know, really start to develop that backbone on there. I think that requires a lot of work for sure, uh, but the the advantages I can give you are significant. I mean, it's, you know, one of the big pushes is towards this mass customization theme where you can have, you know, products made uh, completely customized what the customer can do. And you can only do that if you've got uh, the manufacturing or the advanced manufacturing capabilities that this provides you. Um, you know, this really requires you to kind of sell it up to management. Uh, you know, demonstrate the value of this system. And I think this is where you start to bring in, you know, cross uh, cross department teams. You know, let's say you're looking at something simple like a, a water effluent system. You know, this is usually environmental steps in, says it has to be done. Maintenance will get involved because they have to keep the thing running. Engineering designs it. Um, but what about stuff like, you know, finance? Bring the finance guys in. You know, they might they might want to know how much is leaving the system, how much is leaving the, the factory at all times. Uh, it might give them a good indication, you know, as to whether, yeah, they're, they're, they're seeing some disconnect between the, the wastewater going out and the production levels that are happening on there. Uh, operations might be quite interested as to what's happening. You know, is things not running as efficiently as they could? Are they, they wasting a lot more, um, you know, water, product, or time? So, I mean, I think starting to bring these guys in, uh, you know, we, we don't see... You know, some of the guys in finance, some of the guys in uh, some of the, sort of the upper levels might not have a good realization of what happens uh, with the instrumentation control side, but a lot of the information that they use comes from that area. Uh, and maybe by bringing these people in, you know, early enough, uh, they might have some re- requests and it might actually end up building a bit of a, a bigger, better system, a little bit more sensors on there that, you know, might help to kind of get the information that the, the upper echelons need on there. You know, training is another big thing. Um, we, you know, again, like I said, the one of the biggest pushbacks is, hey, this is great, but we've got no way that can actually program the system. We see a lot of instrumentation courses not being uh, not being provided anymore. It's it's you know, you don't get the the instrumentation uh, engineers and the instrumentation guys anymore. It's the electricians that are cross trained on uh, instrumentation. Uh, so you know, CPCA, one of the big thing big things that we do is 
you know, talk to the schools, you know, make sure, make sure they know that it's a, a valued uh, course, you know, controls, instrumentation, PLC and that. And then we also work with uh, other, other companies. Uh, I mean, we just, we launched a, you know, not to kind of brag here, we launched a cool little initiative where we started working with McMaster uh, to provide up, uh, upskilling training. So industry 4.0 automation, you know, CPCA, we realize that we're not exactly trainers, but hey, we can connect the people that can provide with the people that want. Uh, and I think it's, it's really valuable to make sure that your people are trained on, you know, how to interface with this, this new landscape that's coming up. Um, you know, I think that that's definitely one of the big ones, training, 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 make sure you have the backbone, um, you know, the backbone of the system and, um, you know, make sure you get people involved on in this one. Um, Instrumentation is uh, one of those jobs. I mean, I, I always say the, the hardest job, the hardest part of my job is trying to tell other people what I do. You know, it's an unsung, it's an unsung job, but, uh, you know, it touches every, every aspect. And I think if we can try to promote that to other departments within the companies, um, you know, it can help them, uh, especially get the information that they require. I, I think it's something that we've all adjusted to now with uh, different ways and how we work and how we operate. It's, uh, you know, trying to roll with the punches, so to speak, and, uh, and continue to succeed. Uh, from your own perspective, personally, uh, what have been some of the surprises, uh, challenges and successes you've had? Uh, in the past year, uh, definitely the switch over to digital has been an interesting one. Um, I got tasked with uh, handling our digital sales tool uh, back in January. Uh, we had somebody uh, heading off on leave for a year, uh, and they, my, you know, my GM tapped me on the shoulder and said, "You know, congratulations! You're going to take this over for a little bit. Should be an easy job. <laughs> um, you know, nothing's going to happen that's really going to really force you on this one." Uh, and the next thing you know, March hit, and the lady that I was taking over with uh, waved at me as she was leaving and said, "Good luck." And uh, yeah, it became a major part of my uh, my life at that point. Uh, so we we managed to push through it, and that's uh, that's been the big one. I mean, the digital aspect, you know, the fact you know we're chatting on Zoom here, we use uh, Teams in the office. Um, it was interesting. I remember back in I guess back in February, just before we all went into lockdown, uh, chatting with my boss on Teams that they just introduced out to the company, being like, "Hey, isn't this cool? We can chat on video." Uh, and then a month later, it became really common. So. That was that was a big shift for sure, but no, I think it's it's been good. It's been a, a good shift. I think it's put a, a you know, it's helped us kind of develop these extra tools. And you know, going forward, I think we'll we'll probably still end up using them. I think we'll still get out. We'll see applications on that. But uh, you know, having the ability to communicate quickly with a, a person face to face over over Zoom or that uh, has been a big shift and a good one for sure. I'd like to thank our guest Ryan Kershaw for joining us today and for sharing some valuable insights on instrumentation and controls. Thank you very much, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for having me, Don. If you'd like to be a guest on our podcast, Pump Up the Volume, you can send an email to myself, Don Horn, at d-h-o-r-n-e at i-p-p-t and put it in the subject line, Pump Up the Volume. Stay safe, everyone, and take care. <laughs>